Welcome. Thanks for joining us this morning, uh, especially if you're a guest and we haven't gotten a chance to meet. My name is Aaron Glover and I'm the pastor here. We're glad to have you with us, whether you're joining us in person or, or watching online. We're in the middle of a series right now called Follow Me, as you just kind of saw on the screen. And we've been looking at the life, the, the teachings and the miracles of Jesus through the eyes of the disciples, right? We've been looking at these, all of these things as if we were there. And specifically, we've been focusing through the lens of the Apostle Peter, just because he's so involved in the stories and always saying the things that we probably are thinking and feeling at times. And for the past few weeks, we have been at the Last Supper. It's kind of where we've been, we've landed in Scripture, and what has been minutes or hours for the disciples has taken us a couple of weeks to work our way through. But it's because this night is so, is so vital to understanding the, the gospel and to understanding the new covenant that we're spending so much time uh, in, in this section of scripture. So if we recall real quick, for those who have missed you know, the past week or, or a couple of weeks here or there, we've been at the Last Supper. Jesus and his disciples have gathered for a Passover meal, right? The disciples think that they're gathering for just a normal, regular Passover. Even though Jesus has predicted his death several times, they still don't understand what, what's going on. And so as they finish the Passover meal, right, they, they eat the lamb, they eat the, the bread, the bitter herbs, they go through the normal Passover. And then towards the end of the meal, Jesus, again, stands up. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. He takes off his outer coat, gets down and washes their feet. And then when he takes his place, he tells them that I have given you an example to follow. So you should go and do to one another. And then after that, Jesus then identifies that there's a betrayer that sits among them. And everybody at the table was wondering who it was. And then Jesus identified the, the betrayer by dipping a piece of bread and giving it to Judas, signaling that he was handing himself over to be betrayed because Jesus laid down his life. It was not taken from him. So he was handing himself over to betrayal. And then Judas leaves and then Jesus gives a new command to his disciples, right? We talked about this, that the new command was that you love one another as I have loved you. So you are to love one another. And he tells them all of this, and he tells them, I'm going to go away soon, and, and you can't follow. And of course, Peter jumps up, basically, and says, Lord, I'll, I'll go anywhere with you. I'll, follow, I'll give my life for you. And that's when Jesus tells him, you will because you're going to deny me three times before the sun rises. And we've talked about every week how this has just been a roller coaster emotionally for the disciples. What for them was going to be a normal Passover meal has become one of probably the strangest nights of their lives. And the teachings that Jesus has taught them and, and the things that they've witnessed are probably bringing all sorts of confusion into their minds, right? And then... Jesus also institutes the Lord's Supper, right? They gathered for the Passover. They observed the Passover. And then Jesus not only gives them a new command, he also institutes a new supper, right? Where they take the bread and the wine. This is my body given for you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out. So this night has got all this confusion. And then Peter's denial is predicted. So he's, everybody's probably feeling very down and sad and terrible. And we get that feeling because Jesus then begins to comfort his disciples. This is what we talked about last week. 
We got about halfway through the sermon of what I actually wanted to get to. I had what I wanted to prepare uh, to bring y'all this week, and then midway through the week, I got completely shifted in a whole new direction. So my hope today is that what I say complements what we did last week uh, in the way God wants it to, okay? But last week, I want to recap, because I know there's several people who weren't here last week or might have missed this. In, In his comfort for the disciples, remember, we are hours away from the betrayal, the trials, and the crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus is going to die in a matter of hours with the disciples. So in leaving them, he comforts them. And he does this by promising to send them another helper. He's telling them that he's, he's going to go. And they don't fully understand that what he's saying there is he's going to go to the cross. And then he's going to go to the Father. But he's not going to leave them as orphans, he says in his comfort. Right? Or he's not going to leave them as orphans. But he will come to them. He will come back for them. And instead of being with them physically, like as a person, in one person, in one place at one time, he's promising to be with them spiritually inside each and every one of them. He's deepening the level of relationship for the disciples. Because before, whenever they would relate to Jesus, they would have to see him in the room or hear his voice. And he was only with them when he was actually in their physical presence. But what Jesus is promising here is to be with them wherever they go at all times. And they, again, fully, don't fully understand this. But Christ is promising to give them the Holy Spirit forever. And as we looked at a few themes in that scripture last week, we're in John 14, verses 15 through 23, right? We saw where Jesus repeated a few things a few times. He said that if you love me, you'll keep my commands... And I will ask the Father, and the Father will send you another helper, right? The Spirit of truth. We saw how that got repeated two other times. You go look in verse 21. He repeats it in a little bit of a different wording, where then he says that I will manifest myself to you. And then in verse 23, where he says that the Father and I will come and make our home with you. We have to wonder why Jesus would say the same thing in three different ways. And again, without fully knowing why he would say it in three different ways, I I can't help but wonder if it's because human language lacks the ability to fully explain what God is doing in the giving of the Holy Spirit. But I think it also shows us that when Christ is giving the Holy Spirit, this is not something that he is removed from. No, something he is actively a part of, and something that the Father is also actively a part of. In fact, the entire Trinity, the entire Godhead is fully involved in the giving and indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And that's part of what we're going to look at today. But before we get there, I want to remind us, we we asked how God does this, how he did this, right? We know Jesus went to the cross to forgive us of our sins, But we may not fully understand how the Spirit is given to us. So we looked back at Ezekiel chapter 36, remember? And the prophet Ezekiel, God told in the Old Testament, he said, I'm going to wash you, and I'm going to cleanse you from all your uncleanliness, and I'm going to cleanse you from all your idols. And I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to take your heart of stone, and I'm going to give you a new heart of flesh. And I'm going to give you a new spirit my Holy Spirit put inside you. 
and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey. So God is promising to do all these things for us. And at the root of it, it's this new heart we're given and this new spirit that he gives us. And it's not just a new spirit as in we've never had this before, but it's a new spirit in that it is God's spirit. So it's new to us, but it is this Holy Spirit. And we read that from Ezekiel 36, verse 27. He says, my spirit. So he's putting his spirit inside of us, which causes us to walk in his statutes and obey his commands. That comes from the new heart, the new spirit that leads us in that way. And then finally, we also considered how we are the dwelling places of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to pause here for a moment and take a look at this. If you look at the slide real quick. In John 14, when Jesus says that in his, father's house, in his Father's house are many mansions, depending on your translation, mansions, I think, is the King James. I, I could be mistaken there. Um, but many rooms, okay? So we're thinking of rooms like in a house or a hotel or maybe even in a castle, right? We, we have the human beings, we tend to think in physical terms, right? If somebody says, my Father's house has many rooms, we're thinking of God's physical home with physical rooms, But let's look at this word real quick. That word for rooms, I mentioned this last week, is the word mane, which comes from a root word, meno. M-E-N-O in our transliteration. And what it means there, that is to abide, to dwell, to remain, not to fade away. So keep that concept in mind, right? We got the root word means to abide, dwell, remain, not fade, to last. And that was from John chapter 14. So let's go look at how John, the author of this gospel, used this word elsewhere, okay? In John chapter 1, whenever John the Baptist is testifying about the baptism of Jesus, okay? He's testifying about the Son. John bore witness, John 1 verses 32 and 33 mentions this word as well. He says, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I'll let you guess what the root word for that word remained comes from. That same word that John uses for the word many rooms right there. So the same root word. It, what he's saying is the Spirit descended upon the Son And it abode on him. It dwelled on him. It stayed on him. John doesn't ever tell us that the Spirit left him. Something to keep in mind. Also, too, later in this gospel, John tells, uh, whenever Jesus is talking to the disciples, he tells them to abide in me. When we get to that, I am the vine, you are the branches. He says, abide in me and I in you. That word abide comes from the same root word. Abide, dwell, remain. So the concept of what Jesus is talking about here is not a physical room as what we would think, but more of a spiritual truth of a dwelling in him and him in you. That's what he's talking about. So as we think about this today, whenever we hear Jesus say, I in them, them in me, I in you, you in me, Keep this concept in mind, okay? This abiding, this dwelling, this remaining, this staying together. That's what we're going we're gonna to see as we go through this. And that's, again, what Jesus means when he talks about this. Because what he has done by giving us the Holy Spirit, right? 
On the cross, on the work of the cross, he removed our sin. He cleansed us. He removed something from us. But when he gives the Holy Spirit, he's adding something to us and joining us into a new fellowship, into the fellowship with God. And we think of the word fellowship, we kind of think of friendship, or some of us who are really nerdy think of the Lord of the Rings, the fellowship of the ring. Uh, That's where I tend to go with it. But fellowship, according to the scripture, is is being one with And we're going to see that in this passage today. So I I just want to remind you, this is what we looked at last week. And I also want to remind us of the assurance of this. Again, every single believer, every single believer has been cleansed by Christ and is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. This is a promise and an assurance for each one of us. He is our seal until the day of redemption. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not in Christ. To be in Christ is to have the Holy Spirit. It's an assurance for each and every one of us. Now, last week, we looked at the passage in John 14, right? They're at the Last Supper. This is right before they leave. Because after Jesus ends that passage, he tells the disciples, rise, let us go from here. And they're actually going to head toward the Garden Gethsemane. So as they're going towards this garden, Gethsemane, Jesus is, is talking to his disciples. He's telling them things. And then we come to a part where he goes into this prayer in John chapter 17. That's where we're going to be at today. So I thought this might help us in our understanding of the Holy Spirit being given to us, this indwelling, this, this relationship, this fellowship. Last week we saw Jesus' words to the disciples. This week we're going to look at Jesus' words to the Father. And we're going to do that again in, in, in John chapter 17. It's called the High Priestly Prayer. And, and this prayer, think about this real quick. If you knew you were going to die in a matter of hours, what would you be praying for? If you knew you were in your final hours on this earth, what would you bring before the throne of heaven? We actually have that from Jesus. We can go see what Jesus took to the Father hours before his death. Now, there's other prayers later on in this, but this this section right here in John 17, we get to see Jesus' heart, his desires. We get to see what he wants. Because there's a section in here where Jesus actually says, I desire that. So we can see what Jesus actually wants. And what was so important to him hours before his death that he recorded this for us to have, for all generations to have, for the future. So this will also give us, again, a peek into their relationship, a peek into their fellowship, their mission, what they wanted. Because as we think about this, if it's what the Son wants, it's what the Father wants. If it's what the Father and the Son want, it's what the Holy Spirit wants. So again, we're going to begin in uh, 17. we got three sections here. I'm not going to go through the whole, the whole uh, chapter today. We, we simply won't have time for that. But in the first section, Jesus prays for himself. In the second section, he starts praying for his disciples, specifically uh, the 11 now because Judas has left. But in the last section, in verses 20 through 26... 
Jesus prays for another group. And that's the group that we're going to be interested in today because that's a group that you and I are a part of. You and I are the actual direct audience, the, the, the target audience that Jesus was speaking to his father about in this section. If you've ever wondered if you're in the Bible, your name's not in the Bible, but you are included in, in this group right here. So let's go ahead and, and look at this uh, passage. I'm going to begin reading in verse 20, John 17, verse 20. So again, after Jesus has prayed for himself, after he's prayed for his disciples, he says this in verse 20. He says, I do not ask for these only, his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. You see, you have believed in Christ today because the gospel, the message that was given to the disciples has gone out from them just the way Christ commanded them to go and spread the good news and make disciples. And through the generations, the gospel has come down to you. You believe in the very same Christ that the disciples believed in. You believe because of the word that has been given to them and came down to you. This is you is who he's talking about, believer. So he says, but for also for those who will believe in me through their word. Verse 21, he says that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. I'm going to hit that last part again. This is how the prayer closes. With that last part of 26 again. He says that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. You want to look at the root and the heart of what Jesus is desiring, what he has come to accomplish, is that the love of the Father to the Son be in believers, and that he be in believers. Now, This passage deals with a lot of things. If you go back and look at the entire high priestly prayer, 
there's so much more going on uh, than just what we're focusing on today. The indwelling, the being in him, him being in us. There's Christ's glory, the testimony of Christ as Messiah, fulfilling the Father's will. This passage has so much to it. We could, we could do series on each one of those concepts. But today we're, we're focusing on this insofar as it relates to us being with Christ, Christ being with us, okay? That's what I want to make sure we understand. Now, you notice there was no actual mention of the Holy Spirit by name in that passage. In that section I read, there's no mention of the Holy Spirit by name. Rather, instead, this passage shows us what the Holy Spirit accomplishes and why he accomplishes it. We know he does the work that Christ mentions here. We know that he's the medium that this is accomplished through, even though he's not listed by name. And we know he does this because the Son has asked the Father and the Father has given him. Okay? Let's go back and look. So we're going to break this down. We have a couple of, of, of things I want us to look at from this passage. And again, specifically, Jesus asks for things and he says that... XYZ. So that XYZ. He asks for something and then gives the reason for it or the outcome, what he wants to happen because of it. And the first thing that he asks in this section, talking about, again, future believers, talking about all believers, talking about the church, not just our church, but the church, that they may be one. So we think, okay, that just means everybody's got to be on the same page, right? Well, that's what we might try to think that he's saying. But if you look at, at the verse there, that's not actually how he explains it when he says that just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. The, the way they are one is a completely different one than us just kind of agreeing on the same thing, right? Their, their love and respect and submission and giving and caring and concern for one another goes way beyond just agreement on things. Secondly, he sh- says that, that the Son be in believers. This is his desire as well, that the Son be in believers. And you might say, well, Hang on, I thought the Holy Spirit was in me. But Jesus just said that he, want, that he be in me. We'll get there in just a minute. Okay, then also he says that believers be with him where he is, right? Now this has two implications we'll get to. We have the now and the not yet on that part. And then also uh, he says that... Um, Well, then he says uh, that the love of the Father to the Son be in believers, and that the Son, again, be in believers. He went back, he came back to the Son being in believers. So this this is a very complicated uh, relationship. It's not as as easy as just saying, well, I have have the Spirit in me, and it just, that's it, right? I wish it were really that simple. It is that simple, but it's not if we try to understand it. It's hard to put these things into human terms to try to understand them. So today as we go through these, I made a couple of diagrams. You're going to have to forgive me. I'm trying to take some spiritual truths and represent them through human visualization clip art style. Okay, so just think about how, how that's it's not going to measure up. So first thing we're going to look at today, right? 
that Jesus asks that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So being one, just as the Father's in the Son and the Son's in the Father. This is a, a unity, yes, among each other, because we are united to God. And he, he goes on to say, just as you're in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. I want you to try, to try to think about that for a second. That they may be in us. I don't think we have a problem understanding, okay, the Holy Spirit's been given to me. He lives inside me. He's in me. I got that. He's in me. But Jesus says that you're in him. And the way he explains it is that they may be in us. So you being in the Son and you being in the Father, just as the Father's in the Son and the Son is in the Father. That kind of makes us scratch our head a little bit. I don't know if it does y'all. It sure does me. To think that not only, again, have I been removed of my sin, but now I've been brought into their fellowship? It almost sounds a little bit blasphemous. I don't deserve to be in that fellowship. That's the point of grace. You, you don't deserve to be in that fellowship, and yet you've been brought in as if you were the Son with His righteousness, and you're included into their fellowship relationally, which that should cause us a little bit of confusion. That's, again, let's continue on. Let's see what else he says here. And he says that, that the Son and the Father may be in us. So it's one thing he said, okay, that they may be in us. Now Jesus has said in the next verse that the Father and the Son be in us. How is that? Uh, go ahead and jump to the next slide, if you will, sir. That the Son be in believers. They're in, um, what is that, verse 23? That the Son be in believers and the Father in the Son. Notice how Jesus didn't separate those two things. He kept them together. He said, I in them and you in me. So that means by extension, the Father is in us, right? If the Father is in the Son and the Son is in us, then the Father is in us through the Son. That also shows us how we are connected to the Father, right? We are connected to the Father through the Son. Shows us how we've been able to be brought into this relationship. Again, we're sitting there thinking, but I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I didn't know I was indwelt by the Father. I didn't know I was indwelt by the Son. You are indwelt with them through the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is in the Son, the Son is in the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is in you... The Son is in you. And if the Father's in the Son, and the Son's in the Spirit, and the Spirit's in you, do you see how this, what I'm trying to, to get across is, do you see how intertwined all this is? You're not just connected to God as some kind of fringe on the outside, barely peeking your way over, over the walls of heaven, trying to see what's going on inside the holy city. 
Even though that's what some of us want to think about our relationship with God is. Oh, if I will just do good enough, if I'll just do enough good deeds, I'll beg my way in. God will let me be a shoe shiner in heaven. Which, that'd be better than anything here on earth. I can promise you that. But that's not the relationship we have. The relationship that we have with God because of the Son, through the Son, is that we are brought in as the Son. You're welcomed as if you had all the righteousness of Christ because Christ has clothed you in his righteousness. This is, again, why we get to go boldly before the throne. This is why we get to cry out because of the Holy Spirit, Abba, Father. We get to cry out to him as if he is our intimate Father. Because of everything that Christ has done. And he's showing us how deeply involved this relationship is. And how no matter how you slice it. You are connected to the Holy Spirit. You are connected to the Son. You are connected to the Father. And they're all connected. And they're all connected to you. Because of Jesus. Through the Holy Spirit. And he says. I I love this too. In in that word there. If you look in. um, When he says that they may become perfectly one. Um, back on that other slide before we got there, that they may become perfectly one. This is complete. This means lacking nothing. This is because he brings everything to completion. He brings everything to perfection. He is the author of our faith. He is the perfecter of our faith. It's him who does all of this and brings us into this. So we've seen, again, Christ wants us believers to be in the Father and in the Son. Christ wants himself to be in us and the Father in him. And now let's look at the third thing he talks about. That believers be with him where he is. Why? He says, Father, I desire also, in verse 24, whom those whom you have given me may be with me where I am. Now, I want us to understand this. This has, again, two implications here. We have the now, we have the not yet. When you read the epistles that Paul writes, Paul talks about our life in Christ being with Christ right now, seated in heavenly places. Read in Colossians, read in Ephesians, you'll find that. With him right now, but you say, but I'm, but I'm right here in Troop, Texas. But your life is with Christ seated at the right hand of God right now. And then there's also an implication of the future to come. That where he is, that's where you will be. Why? Because you are connected to him. United to him. So this is an assurance that he gives us. Is that where he is, that's where we are. And where he will be, that's where we will be. Because we are united to him. Now fourthly... We look at this where he says in verse 26, he says, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. Jesus, again, was about to go to the cross. We know that he's going to put on full display the glory of God in the redemption of man. It's going to be seen by everyone around who can see that he's putting the love of God, the mercy of God, and the justice of God on full display Fully punishing sin, but fully being merciful at the same time. 
So Jesus is going to continue to make it known. But after he ascends back to the Father, right? Once Jesus is risen from the dead on the third day, he stayed on earth for 40 days and then he ascended back to the Father. So question, how does Jesus continue to make the name of the Father known if he is in heaven? Through the work of the Holy Spirit inside each and every believer. The Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit in believers, is how Christ continues to make the name of the Father known. He has made it known and continues to make it known through that work of the Spirit in each and every one of us. Look at that that at the end of this in 26. This is why I made the diagram of this. It said that the love with which you have loved me. Okay? So let's say, um, I wish I had a visual up here. It's hard even looking at that visual. I tried my best to make it. So the Father, right? We see the Father who is fully God. We see the Son who is fully God. Each one of them is fully God. And the Holy Spirit is fully God. That the love with which the Father loved the Son with, that that love lives in you. That's not just a love. It's not just a good love. That's a love of type that you have no business being a part of. You have no business having such love. And yet, this is exactly what Christ desired. That Christ wanted the love with which the Father had given to him, right? To be in you. Now, how long has the Father loved the Son? How long has the Father loved the Son? If we read the scripture, we actually find that he says, um, to see my glory that you have given me because, how long has the Father loved the Son? Because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So this eternal love of the Father that has always existed from the Father to the Son. This love has been in existence for eternity between them two. And because of Christ Jesus, God hands it to you. Simply because you come to Christ in faith. That the love with which the Father loved the Son may be in you. That, that's not just God liking you. That's not just God thinking, well, okay, I guess. That's not just God giving you a, a pass. That is God pouring out the ultimate form of love. The love between God to God. Let's just say it like it is, right? If the Son is God and the Father is God, that's the love from God to God. And then we also could go into a whole other deep level, which I didn't want to get off into today, was saying that we know from the Scriptures, 1 John 4, that God is love. So when I read this, I almost think that he's really talking about the Holy Spirit here. Anyways, going on to that. But the love between God to God is the love that God gives you. And that's the love that you live in from the Father. Now, looking at the last statement as well, again, Jesus closes with this. And he says, and I in 
them. An eye in them. Because of what Christ has done, and because of the Holy Spirit, he lives inside of you through that Holy Spirit, who is fully God. It's strange for us to think about that, that the one who has been given to us, that the Spirit that has been put into us is none other than God himself. So we have God's love, and then we have God himself being given to us. I mean, come on, what is man that God is mindful of us, and yet he gives us all the benefits that he deserves, that he alone deserves, and that we have this. But again, what's important about this is that this is what God actually wants. And I think to understand it this way, this goes a whole lot further than just trying to say, oh, I'm just trying to get into heaven, or I just don't want to go to hell. This is a completely different type of fellowship and relationship we're talking about. If you're coming to faith in all this just to, just to avoid some punishment or just to hope you get into the paradise, you haven't fully grasped what God is actually offering you. God is actually offering himself to you to share and partake in his fellowship. Now, I, I don't imagine the disciples had any clue what Jesus was talking about as he said this. I mean, let, let's just be honest here. We hardly understand this, right? This is, this is some deep stuff here. But yet, as a believer, this is something that Christ has fully accomplished. If you believe that Christ fully accomplished what he did on the cross and that what he did in giving his spirit is such, then you believe every word of this is true that he prayed, right? So again, when we, when we think about this, he's changed the nature of our relationship, right? Because never before in man's history had God ever been joined to man, right? We were with God in the garden, then we sinned and God we separated from God. God kicked us out of the garden and separated. He broke that fellowship with us. So man has lived separated from God all of history since then. But then this one man comes along, right? He's born of a virgin. He, in fact, is God himself. And God comes down and shows us that they are truly united. We see that at the baptism, Right? Jesus has always been in perfect union with his Father and with the Holy Spirit. But God shows us the union between God and man when he has the Spirit descend on Christ like a dove. That's for our benefit. It's not that Christ was separated from the Holy Spirit. That was to show us the new relationship between man and God. Never had this relationship except in that man Christ Jesus. And he doesn't keep that to himself. Instead, he turns around and shares his relationship with God with each of us. So again, looking at this, again, Jesus Christ is both fully man and he's fully God. But as a man, he shared with us the fellowship that he had with the Father. When Jesus prayed to the Father, there was no sin separating him from the Father, right? Right? 
There's nothing separating them. Whenever he was filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit remained on him because there's no sin in Christ. Jesus, the God-man, was fully united to God. And then he brings us into that relationship. That's what we are to live in, and that's the truth of what we have in him. We have that perfect fellowship and that relationship. All because he poured himself out and then gave us what is his. That we could share in his life, share in his fellowship, now and forever. And that not only changes our relationship, right? We, we see the change in the relationship between man and God. Okay, got it. Now we're united to God. But there's another change that happens. When he does this, when he takes the old heart, the heart of stone, as he refers to it, and he gives the new heart of flesh that has new desires, when he gives us a new spirit, his spirit, we become new. We're changed from the inside out. That's what it means when he says the old has passed away. Behold, all things are new. When you came to Christ in faith, when he took that heart of stone, that was the old you, that was your flesh, that was your sin. He takes that away from you, gives you the new heart, a heart after his own heart, and he gives you his spirit If you have a different heart and a different spirit, I can tell you, you are a completely different new being. The old is dead. And the new has come. The difficulty that we have is that as we live in the body of flesh, as Paul reminds us, that we continue to like to pick up the old dead things and put them on. We should take them off and discard them completely but that's part of living in the fallen world is that we tend to fall back almost like gravity continuing to pull us down christ calls us up and out and we continue to fall back from time to time it's why we must renew our minds it's why we must put off the old man and put on the new man as paul says constantly he reminds us because the truth is is that you are new in christ So then we ought to live as those who are new. Not live as those who are dead. We're not dead. So this new heart and this new spirit makes us completely new. He didn't just change God and man's relationship. He changed man completely. He made a new people for himself. This is what Paul talks about when he mentions in Ephesians how there's one new man. God has made a new man in Christ. And as a believer, that's what you're a part of. And that's what you're called to live in. This is his gift to every single person who believes in him. But I don't want us to get confused about this. This is not something that is shared with the world. Jesus makes that very clear. That he does not share himself with those who don't believe. Those who don't believe are not given this fellowship. They don't enter into this right relationship with God. They don't have all of these benefits. He gives it to those who know him. This is not something... That is for everyone, 
but only for those who believe. So I will say this, if you have not believed in Christ today, you are invited to come and receive everything that he has promised to give, to receive a new heart and receive a new spirit and to be made completely new. To have God adopt you as a co-heir with Christ, filled with his Holy Spirit, him living inside of you now and forever. He invites us to that. And the scripture tells us that every single person who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Christ turns away no one that comes to him. If you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. You will receive every benefit of this. The Spirit is given to you as your helper, your intercessor, your counselor, your guide, your teacher. All of this is freely given to you. You're justified in Christ and then called to live a life of constantly being changed into more and more like him. But believers, this is our assurance. Those of us who have believed in the Lord, this is our assurance. Why? Because Christ prayed for this. And if Christ asked his father for this, you know that his father said yes. If Christ has gone before the Father and interceded on your behalf and asked the Father to give you something, I promise you, the Father has given it. Why? Because we know from the Scriptures that Jesus does not seek His own will, but the will of Him who sent Him, His Father. So to know the will of Christ, to hear what Christ desires, to hear what Jesus wants is to hear what the Father wants. If Jesus wants you to be filled, if Jesus wants you to enter into that relationship, if Jesus wants you to have all these things, that's what God the Father wants too. That's what the Holy Spirit wants too. This is the desires of God's heart. If you wonder, if, well, does God even want me? That's exactly what he's saying here. He wants to cleanse you and redeem you and unite himself to you. That you may live in him forever. And the other thing I want to remind us of. As those who have believed. That because of Christ. Again, every bit of this is dependent on Christ. If you notice, I didn't, haven't mentioned anything that we've done in any of this, right? There, there's not a bit of this equation that we've added to. This is all due to the will of the Father, the work of the Son, and the work of the Holy Spirit. They are the ones who complete salvation. And because it's fully dependent on God, you can trust that as a believer in Christ, you are fully forgiven. You are fully redeemed. You are fully indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And you are being changed to be more and more like Christ. You're never alone. There are times in our life where we do begin to feel like that we're separated from God. But don't ever let your emotions fool you. Trust in the truth of Scripture, not in your emotions. 
You're never alone. You're never separated from God if you are in Christ Jesus. That is the assurance and hope we have as those who are indwelt by his spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you today, God, and I confess, Lord, I, after spending even this last two weeks trying to understand all that you have given us in giving us your Holy Spirit, I, I still can't even begin to fathom the fullness of what you have done. God, but rather than try to define everything you've done, rather than try to fit you in a box of our understanding, I pray, God, that we look at you and just marvel at your majesty. That we're overwhelmed by the mystery of who you are and what you do and how you work and what you accomplish. God, that we are humbled when we see these things to know that we as as humans are beloved by you simply because you choose to love us that we are forgiven because you chose to die for us and that we are alive because you chose to give your life to us All we can do is stand in amazement and say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Lord, I also, I want to pray for anyone in this room who has not yet believed in you, who doesn't know you as Savior, who has not repented of their sin and believed in your Son. God, I pray that your Spirit would move in this room right now you would show them who you are that you would bring about repentance in their heart and lead them to faith in your son Jesus that they may enjoy all of the benefits and blessings that come from knowing you becoming your child becoming a co-heir with Christ becoming your ambassador in this world we love you. We thank you. We praise the name above every name. Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, and our King. Amen. So we're going to go ahead and move into our invitation time.